you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for being sovereign. And God, we pray now thy blessings upon this time together. Give us discernment, wisdom, clarity of thought. We ask that you would wrap your arms around the Second Episcopal District. God, wrap your arms around our Episcopal leaders. Lord, wrap your arms around this country. We pray thy blessings upon persons under the sound of my voice, their families, cover us with your blood. Because God, we realize today that your blood still works. We thank you for the victory. We thank you for the peace that passeth all understanding. And we thank you for the love that's unconditional. In the name of the one who gave his life on Calvary, for all of us, for the entire world, we do pray. Amen. Amen. We cannot begin this process tonight without at least expressing our sincere appreciation to one, the task force for their leadership over these last few weeks, uh, particularly those persons who gave leadership, Reverend Lamar and Reverend Watley, uh, who gave leadership to the task force and moving the process along to make sure that we all stayed informed. I cannot say enough about those who gave leadership to the seven days of prayer, and we commend them for uh, the material put on Facebook and online and gave us our focus for these past seven days. Those of us who know the power of prayer know that this is not the time to stop praying. This is a time to really pray, but the more. We're excited because God has already declared in his word that is on time, he will step in and make the difference and make the change. And so tonight, we merely want to keep you informed of what's going on as a result of, uh, of the election. Uh, it's not just enough for us to go through the exercise of rallying up uh, our votes and rallying up our, our support to different agendas, but what now, what happens now? Before I bring the, the, uh, the uh, coordinators on, let me acknowledge, as, as Janet will put up on the screen, let me acknowledge with sympathy to the family and our deepest condolences, the passing of the Reverend Ronald Freeman. Uh, Reverend Freeman was indeed uh, a jewel. He was one person who lived his life as a servant. And God knows, I believe that there is a heaven. And as a result of there being a heaven, I'm sure he is in the arms of the Lord right now. Those of you who write, might remember, Reverend Freeman was the second Episcopal District Chief Marshal. He passed away on this past Sunday, and we or, or this past Monday, and we pray for his family. The funeral services are to be held on Monday. Uh, and and uh, we are asking all of us to be in prayer for the family. God bless the memory. God bless the spirit of Reverend Ronald Freeman. That being said, let me present to you two phenomenal young men of the 2nd Episcopal District who have done an excellent job in making sure uh, that we stayed informed. The Reverend William H. Lamar IV 
and the Reverend Matthew Watley, who serve as coordinators and the whole of the Second Episcopal District coordinating uh, team of the task force. We thank you. We thank you for your leadership. We thank you for your support. I know that all of the people of the Second Episcopal District have uh, loaned themselves to doing what was necessary during this season. But your leadership was indeed very much a part of of that which helped us to be motivated constantly throughout the district as we were moving towards this election. Reverend Lamar, Reverend Watley, come on. Thank you, Bishop and Mother Davis, and thank you to the entire constituency of the Second Episcopal District, to our team members, uh, lay and clergy who have made this happen. We see that we have been graced by the presence of the Honorable Val Demings, and we thrilled to have you with us, Congresswoman. You made us proud as a house manager during the impeachment uh, your leadership and stewardship in Orange County, Florida, also makes us proud. You stand in the great tradition of those uh, from our denomination and uh, from our community. So we thank you. Sisters and brothers, uh, we are here today because voting is not enough. After the vote comes engagement and agitation. As I speak, the 45th president of the United States is hosting a live press conference where he's doing everything that he can to suppress votes, keep votes from being counted, to infringe upon democracy. And what our bishop in his wisdom has made sure of is that during the campaign, we were mobilized to vote and did that, thank you. And that now as we move toward the end of the election, we do hope that God will bless us with leadership that cares about people, that cares about the earth, that cares about global connection. But whatever happens, we must remain vigilant. We must remain on the ground floor, making sure that after the politics of the election, we enact policies that bring goodness and abundance into the lives of all people. In the tradition, we often forget that Daniel Payne walked to the White House when Abraham Lincoln was president and prayed with him and convinced him to emancipate the enslaved folks in DC because Payne knew that participation meant agitation and agitation brings about freedom. And so we're here to talk about what's next. I want to pitch now to my colleague, brother, uh, Reverend Matthew Watley, who will then present Representative Demings. Uh, good evening all and thank you Bishop for the signal honor to uh, present. And I don't want to uh, make the runway longer than necessary because we certainly appreciate uh, Congressman Demings uh, making her very busy time uh, available to us. Let me just uh, take two minutes to try to frame maybe three things that we should uh, consider. Obviously, um, what the president is doing, as uh, Brother Lamar indicated, uh, is more than an anomaly historically, uh, but it is a threat to the very fabric of our republic. And so uh, we're very uh, confident that right will prevail, but it does not mean that we still will not have to do as the song said, watch, fight, and pray. So I would hope, uh, and I'm sure that uh, Congresswoman will help us to uh, understand uh, more about the electoral process and uh, what we will see transpire, uh, both as uh, a sitting a member of Congress, but also as an able attorney. And so we're asking that uh, she would help us with that, but also uh, to understand the process of transition that um, by, by statute, six months before the election, uh, both uh, representatives of their respective parties 
are required to begin to engage in the transition process to guarantee the seamless um, turnover of power. That process has already begun and chief in that process is identifying the personnel who will lead the government in pivotal positions. There are a number of positions that must be confirmed by the Congress, but there are also uh, uh, very important administrative positions that do not require confirmation, but these are the people who write the policies and who will make the everyday decisions that will impact your lives, your lives and ours. And because we've seen Black folks deliver once again for the party, uh, that it is not an accident that it's going to be Philly and Atlanta <laughs> that are delivering once again, uh, and Detroit once again for the party, uh, that it is important that we are at the table and not just on January 21st, but, but during the, the time of transition. And so to give us insight into that process and how those uh, the, the, who are able can be engaged and involved in that. And then finally, uh, she is a triple threat because her background in law enforcement makes her uniquely qualified to give us some insight and advice as to how we are to maintain our individual safety and security, as well as the safety and security of our churches, which we recognize are threats and have been targeted uh, by white supremacists in this country. The Homeland Security has identified white supremacists as the largest domestic terrorist threat in our country. And we know uh, not simply because of Mother Emanuel, but other AME churches in particular uh, that have been targeted uh, in the recent past that we must take steps to try to secure um, our, uh, our safety there. So it's, it's really important that we get our arms and uh, around these things. The truth of the matter is, I'm gonna take one more minute, uh, Congresswoman is having some difficulties uh, technologically. But the reason this is so important to me is simple. I am having to have conversations with my 10 year old daughter that my parents did not have to have with me. That, that while racism was always a reality in my life, I never had to worry at 10 years old as to whether the government would peacefully transition. I did not have to worry about white supremacists being emboldened by the commander in chief. And as a consequence, uh, we see uh, the hand of racism and regression, reg regression seeking to assert itself once again. We know that God is on our side and that God has not brought us this far to leave us. But I think it's also important that we act strategically uh, so that we can comport ourselves and conduct ourselves in a manner that secures our physical well-being as well as our freedom as citizens. And so uh, I'm going to ask if uh, brother, uh, if uh, Pastor Lamar would come back and join me uh, as uh, the Congresswoman is, is logging back on. I just want to hear from your perspective, sort of how you're viewing this moment historically and, and how you think we need to go forward in the next uh, few days and weeks, which are really unprecedented in, in, in our country. Thank you, Reverend Wale. I believe uh, that we have to really remember that at the height of reconstruction going forward, the plans that were put in place specifically by Mississippi, but then copied throughout the nation to suppress votes, to keep people from voting. We need to understand that what the president is doing is not innovative, but it is visiting an old, old playbook. 
And the way that we counter the old, old playbook is to continue to do what we've done. We apply the pressure of the ballot. Now we must apply the pressure of emails, text messages, presence where we can show up safely and socially distanced so that we do not disappear. We have to be seen. We have to provide physical witness against the injustice that is happening. And since the Congresswoman has returned, Reverend Watley, I I'll stop there. Well, as they say on the floor, uh, I cede the floor to the gentlewoman from Florida. Uh, Congresswoman, thank you so much for sharing with our, our time this. Welcome to the stage. Well, thank you all so much. And let me say good evening to all of you. I was all set and ready to go on my laptop and I don't know what happened, but the phone will work just fine because we're <laughs> going to get this done. I want to say good evening to Bishop and Supervisor Davis and thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of this. Thank you for your leadership in the second uh, Episcopal District. I also, of course, bring you greetings from the 11th Episcopal District where my bishop, uh, the senior bishop, Bishop A.J. Richardson and Supervisor Connie Richardson serve our Zion. Um, I also want to thank uh, Reverend Lamar and Reverend Watley. Uh, I was so enjoying your comments before I was disconnected, but thank you all so very much. Uh, what a strange time uh, we find ourselves uh, in, and I know you all know that uh, as well as I do. Uh, if we look back over the last four years, I think we've seen some things and heard some things, even though we've had Republican and Democratic presidents the last four years, we've seen some things and heard some things that we would never think that we would hear or have heard coming out of the White House. As we set up, uh, I think for tonight, the, the, the environment, if you will, for tonight's conversation, I know the theme for me is after the election. But let me just also add, I, I want to also use uh, a quote from uh, Dr. King that I think will help us also guide the discussion that will really set the stage for how we got to the place that we're in, uh, in the first place. And the quote that I want to share with you, it is a familiar one. It says, freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor, but it must be demanded by the oppressed. I want you just to just think on that as we find ourselves in this situation dealing with someone who is clearly going to lose. And I say that before it's called and I know we're all anxiously waiting but clearly going to lose re-election. Let us remember that desperate people will do desperate things. And I think it's important as we evaluate the current landscape and figure out what after the election, I think it is so important for us to clearly understand how we got here in the first place. I believe that our current president, the 45th president of the United States is a culmination of the fears, the biases and the prejudices that have existed in our country 
for basically 400 years. And while we can name the greats who have through the years worked hard to make sure that voting rights was protected, equal rights were protected, somewhere along the way, I really do believe that we kind of took our eyes off the ball, took our eyes off the prize as John Lewis reminded us so much. And I had such an honor. It was such an honor and privilege to serve with him. We know that he left his blood on the Edmund Pettus Bridge fighting for voting rights. But one of the things that Congressman John Lewis would frequently remind us of is that through all of the distractions, all of the hate, all of the dark and difficult days that we must never take our eyes off the prize, that we must forever keep our eyes on the prize and not just think about America as it is, but think about the America as it should be, as it was created to be. This year, 2020 has been quite the year. You all know we started the year off in an impeachment trial where the president of the United States was impeached, but not held accountable. Although we frequently said and, and regularly said no one was above the law. Well, when you are not held accountable, perhaps you believe that you are. Then we fast forward through this year, 2020, dealing with COVID-19, something we've never seen before that requires us to do some things we've never done before. We know that 9 million people have contracted the virus and over 230 people have lost their lives as a result of the virus. But guess what? The overwhelming majority of those people are black and brown people. And in the middle of a public health pandemic, we have a president who is doing everything within his power to take away health care from over 22 million individuals. We have about 12 million people who are unemployed, unemployed as a direct result of COVID-19 and countless numbers of small businesses, many of them African-American owned businesses that have had to close their doors and some have had to close their doors permanently. So here we are two days on the other side of the day that we've all been waiting for, election day 2020, and we're continuing to count ballots. As I said, I do believe that Kamala Harris have a clear path to the presidency. There is no doubt in my mind as we wait for each vote to be counted. But you've seen the returns over the last two days where we've seen some states like Pennsylvania that started out with the president with a 600,000 lead. Those votes have now dwindled down to 73,000, a 73,000 vote lead. And the poll workers are still counting. So we do believe there is a clear path there. And so you've heard the president's press conference, how he's tried to get the courts. We understand clearly why one of his top priorities was not dealing with COVID-19, not dealing with poverty, not dealing with unemployment, not worrying about health care, but really stacking the courts. Because the president, while we were 
focused on registering people to vote and getting out the vote, the president already foresaw this moment and was preparing to stack the court so he, when the, the election did not result in his favor, he could utilize the courts to get the results that he wanted. Well, I'm proud to say that the courts have not fallen for it, that they have said the claims that he's made have been baseless, although believe me, he is continuing. We've seen in Arizona, for example, where Trump supporters have shown up where the votes are being counted to demand that they're allowed inside to watch for themselves the votes. We saw in Texas where trucks surrounded the Biden-Harris bus to try to intimidate them. And so where do we go from here? Number one, we need to make sure, Bishop, I heard you and the other pastors talk earlier about prayer. We, we, we pray first because we need to make sure that every vote is counted. The president wanted the votes to stop being counted on election night when he had enough to, in his mind to win. But we need to make sure that vote is counted. And that is exactly what is happening at this point. Joe Biden will be the next president of the United States and Kamala Harris will be the vice president of the United States. But understand this, with all of the shenanigans that we are currently seeing right now with a president who feels entitled, he thinks he should win because he wants to win, forget the electoral process. Winning this election will be the easy part. They will take over with a nation more divided than ever before. At least it reminds us of some days of yesteryear when we were clearly divided before the laws changed within our favor, the level of hatred and disrespect and vitriol that we are hearing and seeing, they will take over that America. We'll see an, Ameri an America that will be financially strapped. And so once the final votes are counted and, and, and the le election is called, that is, will be the beginning of the tough work Ahead. Now, let me say this. On January 20th at noon, President Donald Trump's authority as the president will cease. He will not be able to direct the military to do anything. He will not be able to direct the Department of Justice to do anything. His powers will cease, which, which will certainly make it easier for any shenanigans that he might want to come up with. But the question is, the most difficult period will be once the election is called up to January 20th. And so we have to do everything within our power. You know, our primary responsibility, certainly as elected officials, is the health, safety, and well-being of the American people and the people that we represent but we're dealing with a president who feels he's entitled. As I said earlier, we're dealing with his enablers and supporters who the president fills that void, makes their fears, their biases and their prejudices okay. And so that period of time, as I said, between the election being called or the race being called, and it will sooner than later, up to January 20th, we must be extremely prayerful, and we must also watch 
and pray. We cannot take anything for granted. We cannot take uh, the electoral process for granted, which means once the election is called, if not now, we need to be on the ground looking at, and I know the African-American Episcopal Church has done such an excellent job of being clearly involved in those electoral issues, those social issues that affect our communities, but we need to do a deep dive and look at how we were involved during this 2020 election those in which we can, because there is definitely room for uh, improvement. But we need to make sure that we do not take our safety for granted. We've seen 45 supporters in action. And I really do believe that he will do anything to try to steal and, and take this away or take this election out of the hands of the voters. And so we, our first uh, priority, and I'll end with this, our first priority really is to make sure we hear of any issues in those states, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Nevada, look at Georgia, where there are any issues at all, any questions at all, we need to make sure that we report those to the election authorities as quickly as possible so they will be able to conduct the business of the people and finish the vote. As I said, once the election is called, then we need to get busy to make sure that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have the infrastructure and the support that they need to bring our very broken, very divided nation back together. Bishop and Supervisor Davis, I thank you so much for this opportunity again, and I will turn it back over to your moderator. Thank you. We want to thank you, Congressman. And before we are, we conclude the process, we have asked a certain person, uh, the Reverend Dr. Granger Browning, to express our appreciation for, for the whole district. If you have just another moment, uh, I know that there might be some questions. We have uh, Reverend uh, Clay Barrel and Reverend Aretha Cross uh, at receiving the questions from Zoom and over on Facebook, the Reverend Andre Jefferson Jr. and the Reverend Vernon Ware. And if you have another second, let's hear if there are other questions. Reverend uh, Barrel, Dr. Barrel, Dr. Cross, uh, Reverend Ware, Reverend um, Jefferson. Thank you, Bishop. Congresswoman Dennings, uh, Dennings, thank you so much for being with us on tonight. Um, the first question that comes to us um, had to do with moving beyond the elect process and moving towards recovery, ongoing recovery. And so this question had to do with an economic recovery program. And the question specifically states, are you recommending corporate economic recovery programs or individual church economic recovery programs or projects? That's a good question. And thank you. As you well know, um, let, let me go back to COVID-19 and the effects that it has had on everybody either directly or indirectly. I spoke a little bit of how it has impacted, especially our, our African-American businesses, but certainly we see the faith-based community as a part of that. And that's why on the Democratic side in the House of we did include faith-based communities in our relief packages. As you know, we started off with the CARES Act and the PPP program and Small Business Disaster Loan Program 
program, which did include uh, the faith-based community as well. We quickly realized, although we passed the largest relief package in the history of our nation, $2.2 trillion, we quickly realized it was not enough. And we followed up with the hero that included $3.2 trillion, looking at taking care of individual families who were suffering, but our businesses, which we know are the backbones of our communities, faith-based community, other nonprofits were a major part of that initiative. Unfortunately, the HEROES Act has been sitting on the Senate Majority Leader's desk um, for five months. Well, we're actually going to the sixth month now since we're in November. And so that is why it is so critical elect a president who really shares our vision for uplifting and rebuilding our communities and the economic development is really the foundation on how we build our community, make sure we are not left behind in that process. We also, the Senate is uncertain right now. We've seen the obstruction that has existed the last four years in the Senate with this president, but clearly if we are able to it might be razor thin. We have a couple of senatorial races that we're hoping that will go to uh, runoff elections. Then if we're able to take the Senate, we have kept our lead in the House of Representatives. We'll have the White House, the Senate, and the House. We have one of the most aggressive economic pa uh, packages, starting off with House Resolution Number 1, which is one of the most aggressive packages that we've seen in this country in decades. And so um, the legislation is there and we will just continue to build on that as we continue to see the effects of COVID-19 until we come up with a vaccine. Uh, but we will build on that, but that's what we just need to get this election presidential out of the way. We're praying about the Senate and I thank God we've held on to our majority uh, in the House of Representatives. Amen. Thank you, Congresswoman. We have another question and the individual would like to know, during the interim, what impact will Trump's executive order concerning scheduled ELF employees and the work that they do? Well, and I thank you so much for that question. And that's that period of time that I was talking about from the time the um, race is called until January 20th, when the president loses all of his authorities and powers. And so we are period of time very, very carefully. Now, one of the things that I am encouraged about, we've all watched over the last four years, we've seen, unfortunately, my colleagues on the other side of the aisle follow this president in Wait a second, I'm sure that, um, um, Let me some more and more off the normal beaten path, I'll put it that way. We've also seen some Republicans uh, break away, if you will, especially those that were facing very tough elections. And so one of the things that we've got to really watch if the president tries to sign an executive order, it still has to be implemented. And I am really hoping if he loses this race, which as I've said, he's going to lose re-election, that those 
Republicans, especially in the Senate, who have worked years and have relationships with then-President-elect Biden will abandon any ridiculous, crazy, unethical executive orders that the president might try to implement as they pertain to federal workers, especially, because that's what you were talking about, but other things that he could try to utilize that power, the executive order power. I am hoping that he will not get any support or get the support that he would need to actually uh, implement it. But we are uh, watching what he does. Thank you. And Congresswoman, there's one final question. Although we are not citizens of Georgia, what can we do to assist Reverend Warnack in his campaign as his campaign continues towards the runoff in Georgia? Well, let me just say this. I am extremely proud of him and the amazing race that he has run and will run. And, and we all know um, resources. You know, when I was first elected or first ran for Congress, um, it was painful to have to ask for financial support. Well, what I realized, you know, I was running in a district with roughly 700,000 constituents. Our friend and colleague in Georgia is running statewide. And it needs, he needs a lot of financial resources to be able to continue to communicate his message, what he wants to do on behalf of the constituents in the state of Georgia. Now, let me say this, as you all know, I mean, I'm from Florida. Nobody can talk about Florida. I know you all have, and rightly so, but I, I know Florida and we've had our issues too, but for Georgia to be in play, that says a lot about the work that is going on on the ground in Georgia and certainly from Reverend, the work that he has done in his race. But the number one thing that we can do, and I'll say it again in this order, pray first, and any resources that can be sent to assist him in getting his message out certainly will be very, very uh, helpful. Also, if he needs people to phone bank for him and make calls, um, that's, that's always critical too. We've been in this strange time where we have not been able to do traditional campaigning and voting that really has the, has the ability to hurt us in races because that's how we, we're so much better when we're in the room together and we're fellowshipping together. We can't do that now. So the more people he can get on the phone to really make calls on his behalf, the better as well. So thank you so much uh, for that question. Uh, Congresswoman, there we have some a couple a couple of few questions from our Facebook as well. Sure. Uh, some some people want to pick your brain. I'm gonna start backwards on Facebook. Um, the first one comes from Miss Cosby. She says she wants to know. She first off wants to say thank you um, for all the work that you're doing. And her question is: um, There is currently a continuing resolution that expires on December 11th. Is there a chance that we may have a government shutdown during this in between time? Wow, Ms. Crosby, thank you so much for that question. Um, you know, okay, my first term, I dealt with that, the government shut down. But it actually hit, that was in 2017. It backfired on my colleagues on the other side of the aisle. And if you remember in 2018, that's when we saw astronomical winds within the House of Representatives, we took Democrats 
took 40 seats in the House of Representatives during that time. Uh, it was a tough time for our nation and really approving a government shutdown. And remember, the Democrats were not in power within the House during that time. It really backfired. And so after that, the continuous resolutions that we have passed were a lot smoother and more easily passed. Now, yeah, we did one in September, and here we go again um, with the other one in December. While, you know, the wild card out there is Donald Trump losing the election, but for those Republicans who are scrambling for their seats or barely holding on to their seats, I do believe that we will be able to pass the CR for the American people. Um, because I think the Republicans that are scrambling or worried will do that, especially those that are in, will be facing runoff elections. Um, so I'm gonna make that prediction that on December 11th or before then, because it expires, On that, we will another CR. Okay, Congresswoman Demings, uh, everyone has said definitely they give you thanks and we appreciate this. One of the questions, if I can summarize a lot of them, was what is most important for us as the faith community to do between now and that January 20th? So, what should we be doing now after we've gotten persons out to vote? They've done that. What should we do in this interim time frame? You know, as I said earlier, um, let me start here. We are commemorating um, the, at the 100th anniversary here in the district in a town called Okoy, where 100 years ago, um, the black residents in this small rural town were trying to help black citizens vote, not only register to vote, but to vote. And Many of them were killed. Their houses were burned down to the ground. Uh, they had to flee in the middle of the night. We, it involved about 252 um, black citizens. Um, and we believe up to 53 of them actually uh, lost their lives. They lost their property. After they lost their property, the white persons in power at the time just basically sold their property for themselves and then passed a law that said black people can't own property. This was November 2nd of 1920. One of the men who was at the, one of the leaders in the forefront name was July Perry. Last night I attended a, which we're doing a series of events, but this was one that really told the historical story of what happened during that time. And the interesting part was we had uh, African-Americans from the faith-based community, but we also had white pastors who participated. And the entire program last night was really conducted by white pastors who really told the story and then talked about how horrible and how tragic it was. And basically said, until they start helping to tell the story, we can't be the only ones talking about racism and discrimination and healing some of the wounds from the sins of the past. 
And I thought it was so powerful, really, when one of the white pastors took the podium and said, and said this, his words, not mine, on behalf of white people, I want to apologize to the descendants that are here for what we done to your ancestors. So as we talk about, I really, in this broken period of time where we need to come together and heal our nation, really from 400 years up to now, it is going to be critical, I think, that the church really plays a pivotal role in helping to get us to that place. Kamala Harris and Joe Biden are going to desperately need us to step up and help to need, heal a broken nation. Now we know we've talked about some of the economic, lack of economic development, you know, unemployment numbers, lack of fair housing, child dropping out of school every 26 seconds, all of those things that adversely impact our communities, we need to deal with them. Police misconduct is on the list as well. And you all know, I spent 27 years at the Orlando Police Department. It was a job that I loved, the place where I grew up, but we have some issues there. And so as a community, it cannot be just talking about dividing our community, even when we talk about the police, because the police are the community, the community is the police. We've got to unify and come together and deal with some of our tough problems and challenges. The church has always played that role. If you look historically, the church was always there. And now, unfortunately, we have someone in the White House who saw division as a strength for him and in his corner. So really coming together and having town halls, and I know we're in this virtual world now, but whether virtual or when we can get back in person, where we come in and just talk about the account of America that we've got to have if we're going to make the progress that we need. And we have to do it as a diverse community because as those pastors said last night, we shouldn't be the only ones talking about those quality of life issues or uh, hatred, racism that affects and impacts our communities. So thank you for your question. Thank you. Thank you, Congressman Demons. This is uh, one I think we all would like to know. What advice would you give to members about Republican retaliation? Well, when you hear, when you hear Republicans talk, those who have not lost their minds, and, and I, I can say that because I work with them every day, um, you know, they will say, this is no longer our party we don't recognize our party anymore. This is not the party of Lincoln, as they love to say. And I say, well, it certainly uh, is not uh, the party of Lincoln. And, you know, I remember taking one of the things when I was first elected, I said, I'm going to spend time building relationships on the other side of the aisle, realizing that that is the only way we can get things done. I served as one of our class presidents. So I went to the Republican class president and I said, look, we need to make this thing work. And then I saw my colleagues really making what I thought was some ridiculous votes. For example, if you talk about your love for children, but yet you vote against uh, the SNAP program to help feed children who go to bed hungry every night. So I can remember going into some of my colleagues' offices and closing the door and says, what in the heck was that? How could you vote for that? And this is what they said to me. 
They said, we never expected Donald Trump to win. We just knew that Hillary Clinton would win and it would be your usual battles. Um, you know, everybody supports healthcare. The battle is just how do we get there? Everybody supports infrastructure, uh, but how do we get there? But they never planned on Donald Trump winning. And they, they said this, not me. They never planned on having to deal with the crazies in their districts. The people who show up at your house and harass you and your family. The people who we see outside of uh, polling places trying to intimidate first the voters and now the people counting the votes. And so look, I understood what they were saying, but my follow-up question to them was, was this, but what did you come here to do? Why are you here? And if you're not here to do good on behalf of the American people, and you're gonna allow yourself, you're the one with the power. Only about 12,000 people in the history of our nation have ever served in Congress. And if you didn't come here, to, you know, having the honor and privilege of being one of them to do good, then that's, that's shameful. And so, um, as I said earlier, they have been lockstep with him, but they're also watching the numbers. He's not going to win re-election. And I really do believe that when it is clear that he's no longer going to be in power, my colleagues will be better. And that's what I hope and pray for. Some of them, let me just, let me end with, some of them just need to go though, because some of them did not come to really push an agenda that is in the best interest of the American people. Look, I don't mind, we're a two-party system, right? You know, it, it, we've always had a strong two-party system, Republicans and Democrats, that's not the problem. But we all should have a for the people agenda. And the ones who did not come for that reason to really serve the people need to go. And we're gonna try to do everything within our power to help them. Congresswoman, thank you so very much again. Uh, I think it would be unfair for me not to acknowledge the fact that the contact at the last minute in order to make contact with you and to get you here uh, on the last minute's notice was because your pastor knows that even though you are a congresswoman, you are still a member of St. Mark Church in Orlando. And so I would not run the risk of going through your staff I call your pastor, and he assured me, have no worries, Bishop. I'll be back with you within two hours, and he did it in an hour and 30 minutes. So to everybody out there, the Reverend Terrence Gray, the pastor of St. Mark Church in Orlando, Congresswoman Demings, uh, a pastor has that kind of contact. Thank you. Thank you, and thank your pastor. Now... Reverend Dr. Granger Browning is going to say thank you on behalf of the whole district. And come on, Reverend, and, and Reverend Dr. Joanne Browning, both of them together, will express appreciation on the part of the second district. And even though we know this, this uh, presentation uh, is everywhere because we pride ourselves in being a servant to all humankind. Amen. And so we shared you with the world tonight. Amen. Go ahead, Dr. Doctors Brownings. 
Bishop, we first just want to say thank you to you and to Mother Davis. Throughout this entire pandemic, you have made sure that we have remained uh, relevant, whether it be health issues, political issues, but also, Bishop, thank you for how you've taken a personal interest in, mm -hmm. in us as both pastors and laypersons. And tonight is just another example of that. We want to thank the Lord for the team you put together, headed up by Reverend Dr. Lamar and Reverend Dr. Watley, and they have done a phenomenal job as well. And so, Bishop, just like we thank the Lord for the foundation Richard Allen set in place that Bishop Morris Brown set in place, that Bishop Henry McNeil Turner set in place. We wanna say thank you for following in that great tradition of making sure that the AME Church uh, is moving in the direction that God would have it to go. And then we just wanna thank Congressman Demings. Uh, we have been blessed to, with great lay uh, leaders uh, going back all the way to uh, Denmark Vesey, to Rosa Parks, to Vernon Jordan, to. Congressman Jim Claiborne. We want to thank Congressman Demings for being in that great tradition. And she has sounded the alarm tonight, Bishop, mm -hmm. to let us know that we need to be on our P's and Q's. And I thank the Lord that as a woman of God, she said, first of all, we, the church, need to pray. Because the reality is we've been down this road before. Uh, when Richard Allen started the Amy Church, uh, Andrew Jackson was becoming president. So we've been down this road before. Civil War. Compromise of 1877, we have been down this road before uh, when uh, Booker T. Washington was invited by President Teddy Roosevelt to the White House. The uproar was so great that they called it the White House, meaning that no black person would ever be able to get into the White House again. But we found out that the devil's alive, not only did he get into the White House, he was <laughs> running the White House. Amen. We also know in 1920s, we faced it with Woodrow Wilson. And then in the 1980s, we faced it with Ronald Reagan. So we've faced this before and we're facing it today, but I thank you, Bishop, through your leadership that God will see us through. Mm -hmm. And when uh, 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 Reverend Al Sharpton ran for president, he reminded us that even though we have decided to ride the donkey instead of the elephant, that we gotta make sure that we slap the donkey. <laughs> the donkey is not gonna take us to where we wanna go by itself, but we slap the donkey and make sure the donkey goes to where we want it to go. Mm -hmm. And I thank the Lord for, we believe in the Lord for the election of Joe Biden and the election of Kamala Harris, that we believe this donkey can take us to where we want to go. Mm -hmm. Because in the end, we are still going to win because we face pharaohs and we still got a cross. Mm -hmm. We faced Harrods and Pilots and we still had a resurrection. So the same God that brought us through is the same God mm -hmm. that's going to bring us through again. Amen. And Bishop, thank you for your leadership in mm -hmm. all that you're empowering us to do. God bless you. Dr. Dr. Joanne, would you? Yes, Bishop, I just briefly, very shortly, my husband has covered it all, but I do wanna say thank you, Bishop, for your leadership, for we are facing the in-between time in just a moment. And because of your leadership, Bishop, we're going to be able to transition from where we are to where God would have us to be. And thank you, Bishop, for always being the forefront, cutting edge, and that we are going to be the church that's going to be an instrument in God's hand to heal the land. So I just want to say thank you, Bishop and Mother Davis. God bless you both. Before we go, my partner in mission and marriage, I just want to give her an opportunity. You don't get a chance to see her. She doesn't get a chance to say hello to everybody. Before you leave tonight, I want to give her a chance to say hello. Muchísimas gracias, Señora Deming del Congreso de los Estados Unidos. Welcome. It is such a pleasure to meet you. 
Now to my extended family, the second Episcopal district. Yes, they are counting. They are continuing counting those ballots. Now it is our responsibility to continue circling the throne of God with prayer and asking him, God, your will. So may God bless you is my prayer again Congresswoman Dennings, we thank you so very much. Muchísimas gracias por todo. Indeed, again, I say thank you to the whole group, the whole task force, wherever you have served. We did not ignore your contribution. You are wonderful. Thank you for being cooperative. Thank you for giving leadership in the areas where you are. God bless you. It would be so wonderful if we only had one ball to juggle at a time. Unfortunately, we don't. We have many balls in the air, and I pray that you will take seriously this whole pandemic. A hundred thousand people were infected in one day. In Alexandria, Virginia, 200 people in one environment, one church service, were infected, 200 people. I just want us to take this thing seriously. Be safe. I'm not telling you what to do. Just be safe. Be safe. Take this thing seriously because it's not going anywhere right now. Be careful. We love you. We want you to know that. I welcome Sister Saleria Moore now to lead us in prayer, a layperson from Turner uh, Church in Hyattsville. Come on, Sister uh, Saleria, lead us in prayer as we leave this place. May we all center in. Dear Almighty Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Father God, for this day. We thank you, Lord God, that the smooth stones rose up and stood in line and voted. We thank you, Father God, for our sister Congress member Demings. We thank you, God, and we ask that you surround her and all of her colleagues with your hedge of protection. Mm -hmm. Father, we thank you because you are always in control. Yes, the Lord. devil is a liar. And now, Father God, we just ask all your people to mount up with the wings of eagles, to mount up with the power that you have given us to do what we need to do in this in-between time. And now, Father God, we thank you for our servant leaders who have brought us to this day, who have brought us to this seminar, that we may now reflect on now what mm -hmm. after the election. We thank you for giving us the power. We mm -hmm. thank you for giving us this power through your son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. And now, Father, as we leave this place, mm -hmm. we ask that you would be with all of us mm -hmm. and continue to guide us and direct us and mm -hmm. show us the light. This we ask in the name of your son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Um, amen. 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 Thank God for amen. Mrs. Benjamin, who is on the backside of this, that made sure that all of us were online and able to get through. God bless you, God Congresswoman. Bless you. Thank bless you. you. We're praying for you. We know that it's not an easy job. God amen. bless you. God bless you all. Good night. Good night. Good night. Night, night. Night, night. Good night. Sleep tight. Good night. Good night. Good night. Don't let the bed bugs bite. <laughs> you dating us with the bed bugs.
Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. <laughs> 